Hello and welcome back to the Undercut Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jesse Billington, and as always, I'm joined by the Shirley to my temple, Timo Albus Daly, and the Olive to my dirty martini, Ellie Mae Taylor. How are you both? Good, thank you. Quiet weekend, good, good weekend? Good, thank you. Um, turned out to be quite nice, didn't it, actually? Weather, how... Yeah, weather panned out better than anticipated. How has the... Have you been affected by any of the flooding at all or are you too south for that didn't really have it in bedfordshire it's been there's been a few spots where it's been sort of flooded but it's not been as widespread as it was further north or up in scotland we've been quite fortunate here i don't know about ireland we've had pretty decent weather all things considered so no complaints from me Mm, not too bad and how about dune sooth how about what Further down south, Ellie May. I don't know why I picked the completely uh-huh. wrong accent for that one. We kind of live under almost under sea level anyway, so it gets well. We're we're fine. We don't get flooded, but like further down the road, it gets flooded every year anyway. So it's kind of like we're used to the wet weather. You're well well versed in wet weather protection at this point. Yeah. Mind you, speaking of somewhere where it wasn't wet, and that was, of course, Texas, where we saw some very warm conditions across the weekend. Not quite Qatar levels of heat and humidity, but it was still toasty enough and a dry circuit, which provided some interesting racing across the uh, Formula One weekend, which we'll dive into and we'll open up, as usual, with our What the Hell Has Happened section. And um, the only major piece of news that we didn't cover going into this weekend were the fact that Haas, Red Bull and Williams all had new liveries and Haas went so far as to bring fresh overalls and race suits as well. What did we think of all the new looks? Any that really stood out? Any that were standing up for the wrong reasons? As for me, was the only one that looked decent but it wasn't as good as their regular livery for me red bulls looked a little bit tacky but they'll outdo themselves on tack at vegas and williams it wasn't too bad but considering how strong their liveries have been this year it was easily the least favorite of the bunch is my pretty nutshell version of getting across all of that i don't know if any is going to agree or disagree with any or all uh, of that i'm the opposite thought in as the, much yeah i really liked red bulls I thought sort Surprise. of the colours sort of fitted really into uh, in really well to sort of their usual livery. I thought I, I quite liked that one whilst I was sort of I didn't mind Williams's and I was kind of neither positive nor negative with Haas. It was just there for me. I think if I was gonna rate them. I'd put Haas in third, Williams in second, and Red Bull in first. Yeah, I, I quite like the Red Bull livery, to be fair. I didn't really, I can't say I really noticed the Williams one, or it's not really stuck in my mind, which I think is arguably more of a damning indictment. It did seem pretty much stuck on at the end, and then only then briefly on part of the car. It didn't, it seemed like they were. Oh, actually, no, scroll- last minute we want to put this on. Scrolling back and looking at it, the way that the regular livery sort of transitions into um, Old Faithful, I quite like that, actually. I like, actually, that, for me, works. Red Bulls outside of the team, I think, was a bit tacky. Hasses was, you the American team, go big or go home when it's one of the American Grand Prix. But I think Williams struck a nice balance to it, actually, with a, with making it a special livery. So I'm I think with Williams, it came, it came across as a bit of, oh, we forgot to tell people we were doing this, or at least it seemed a bit last minute, whereas the other ones we knew that about those fair in advance. Mm. The ones with Williams, though, almost is the exact same for me as Silverstone's, just the American flag instead of Great Britain. They should yeah. do that for every Grand Prix, then. Just put the flag of the country wherever they are on, on the back of the, the car and just have it. Why not? 
I think they went for it with Texas because they have a huge amount of American sponsors. So it made sense to sort of appease them. And equally, Britain, it's the home race for Williams. So it makes sense to do it there. I think otherwise you start to lose the specialness of a special livery if you've got one that changes throughout the season. Plus, I think there's a weird rule that says that your livery has to remain constant for X percentage of the race weekends or something. But aesthetics out of the way, we'll take a closer look at the racing. And everything started off on the Friday because, of course, it was a sprint weekend. So we saw immediate racing action on, well, Friday evening with qualifying. And we saw Charles Leclerc take pole, the 21st pole of his career. And it was converted to yet another max win. But we will certainly get to that. And I very much mentioned this in our preview, that track limits would likely be brought up again. I didn't think they were going to have this much of an impact, however. So much so that um, Red Bull were caught out by the pace of the McLarens and Ferraris and had to really push to keep up with them or at least stay ahead of them. And uh, the net result was Max Verstappen straight over the white lines going through, I think it would have been turn 19, um, the final or penultimate turn or the exit of the penultimate turn of the circuit. Uh, ran wide, lost his time and was demoted to sixth place. Hence the reason why we saw a very jubilant Charles Leclerc on pole. Equally, this is the first qualifying season, or first qualifying all season, rather, where Fernando Alonso failed to make it into Q3, I believe. Anyway, you're keeping the stats on qualifyings. Am I correct with that one? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, which is uh, definitely an interesting one because Aston Martin brought along a raft of upgrades for the AMR23. So do we think the sprints are interesting in the fact that they force teams to sort of really get upgrades onto the car and set up correct quickly. It sort of adds this added pressure to the teams more so than the drivers because there's more competitive sessions. It's it's a, it's a team's championship as well. And this is one of the pressures we're seeing from it. I think firstly, um, we need to take into account that Aston Martin were very unlucky and they had limited testing due to the problems with both cars. So they were on the back foot and got limited data regardless. But I think... Nonetheless, I think it shows that it's kind of unwise to bring upgrades to a sprint weekend. At the moment, we only have six sprints. So I think it's probably better to just wait and do it on a weekend where there's more free practice sessions so you can test the setup that suits the new upgrades, you know, whether that's trying to get data, you know, for qualifying runs and your longer race runs, et cetera, without the added pressure of upgrades. So I would say save it until the next race, especially when this weekend is a triple header too, because it's how much data have they really got from this weekend and how much are they going to be able to apply that then in Mexico? I would say just, I think they just should have waited. I think in this particular weekend, there was definitely more pressure, but it ultimately didn't impact things too much. I mean, Hass's upgrades got them nowhere. Again, potentially due to just lack of data, like you were saying, anyway. Aston Martin went back to the previous spec, and Red Bull still won anyway. Mercedes weren't close enough yet with any upgrades, not that it ultimately mattered. So it just made everyone work harder on an already busy weekend without any real jeopardy or mix-up. Aston Martin were arguably the biggest losers as a result, but they've been going a bit backwards lately anyway. So it was curious why they all did choose this weekend to bring those upgrades. Mercedes arguably made the most sense due to what we saw on track, at least. Um, but I don't see why they didn't just wait till Mexico or, well, maybe not Vegas, actually. That would probably be a bad idea. But I suppose it's also curious to bring upgrades this late in the season. Yeah, I think when you're bringing upgrades this late in the season, it's something that you're looking at developing forwards for the next year. So there's there's relevance to doing it, certainly, because there's not going to be too many major adjustments going into 2024, we believe. Um, but equally, yeah, I think doing it on a sprint is a big gamble. We've seen McLaren in some of their early upgrades were put in on sprint weekends. I think uh, they did it in Baku at one point, which was an interesting move because, yeah, you like we said, you run out of the meaningful testing time with the free practice sessions, but equally you get more relevant time with the car in push conditions. So it's six of one, half dozen of the other, and it really relies on you having a car that's able to run reliably and drivers that are able to make the most of it. So it's... It's a balancing act, really, I think, to try and get the most from a sprint weekend. But it is one of those extra things to sort of think about when it comes to a sprint weekend. There is that added jeopardy, and it does make it sound like I'm trying to sell a sprint weekend. But at the end of the day, it is something to be considered. Speaking of sprint weekends, the next uh, track action we saw was, of course, the sprint shootout, qualifying for the sprint, and Verstappen was on pole. Verstappen P1, Leclerc P2, and Hamilton P3, all separated by just 
0.069 of a second, a very tight qualifying session. Track limits here, though, had been adjusted between the last qualifying session, increasing the racing area through turns 9, 12, and 19 by widening the white line, because, of course, much like tennis, if it's on the line, it's in. So provided the drivers had at least one tyre on the defined white line, they were counted as within track limits. Obviously, widening the circuit meant that drivers had slightly more leeway going through those turns. And, well, that actually meant that when you replayed back Max Verstappen's lap from actual qualifying with the new track limits, he would have retained his time. So is it wrong to adjust racing limits mid-weekend, especially in something like this? I think with Qatar, it was a bit of a standout because of those curbs. But in Kota, this felt like a bit of a short-sighted move. I think this could t potentially be a one-off or a unique set of circumstances in the respect that it's a sprint weekend. So the limited free practice sessions, it meant that the issue wasn't particularly highlighted until we went straight into qualifying. I think if this was a normal weekend, the issue may have been revealed more in sort of free practice one, two, and three. So the FIA would have been in a position to resolve it before it really impacted any driver going into qualifying in the race on a sort of normal weekend. I think... Changing track limits before going into qualifying is fine. Doing it during, I don't think that's okay. I think we're lucky that the driver affected was Max and the championship is already wrapped up for him because there's no real consequences and he subsequently went on to win it, the race anyway. But if, say, the championship battle was tight and a driver missed out on pole because their time got deleted due to track limits in qualifying and then his opposition did the same thing in a sprint shootout but the lap was allowed, that could have had huge implications. So I think moving forward, I wouldn't like to see this be a precedent or I would slightly change it so that track limits cannot be changed after the final free practice sessions of the weekend. But like I said sort of earlier on, I think it's it was just a unique set of circumstances. In the same way that cars go into park further to... conditions, you end up with the track going into a similar state where you cannot now alter the circuit. You cannot sort of have extra series run to lay down rubber. You can't change curbs. You can't change X, unless, of course, it's for safety reasons, i.e. increasing barrier depth or something. But yeah, I think there's changing something between competitive sessions is, like you said, in, a, in another championship in an alternate universe could have had major consequences. Timo? I think it's definitely weird to change track limits midway through. Change it for the following year, sure, and make a note of that so that you remember that for the following year, something they should probably do for Austria. But for the sake of fairness, keep it consistent for the same race weekend and just get on with it. I think equally it's something they might be looking at with turn four at brazil which is a common point for drivers to run wide there because it comes off essentially the long back straight after the run through um sort of turns one two three which zigzags down the hill you then got a long run into turn four drivers love to carry a bit of extra speed especially towards the end of that corner there could be a lot of um early sort of dabblings with the limits there in the practice sessions just to highlight any issues interestingly sprint shootout the other thing we noticed was george russell received a three-place grid penalty for impeding charles leclerc in sq1 it was pretty clear-cut with charles making a comment on the radio about it in the session and that was then just simply carried forward to later that day in the sprint itself verstappen defended leclerc hard into turn one and then simply disappeared uh, 19 laps and he pulled out nearly a 10 second lead which uh, didn't fill people with a lot of confidence to despite the fact that he was starting P6 in the race the day after. Uh, Verstappen, Hamilton, Leclerc uh, was the podium with uh, out of the sprint with Norris hot on their heels. Piastri suffered contact with Sainz at the start and seemed to be running with damage throughout the race, unable to really make any gains against the field and, if anything, tumbling backwards. Stroll would retire with a brake problem. The upgrade package on his AMR23 needed a bit of refining, it seems, as it was cooking his brakes. There wasn't quite the airflow they were anticipating. And lastly, Russell finished seventh on the road but a five-second penalty for track limits saw him lose a place to Pierre Gasly by the chequered flag. So a pretty good weekend for Pierre Gasly to begin with, already well into the points, looking promising, looking fast and speedy, bagging a few an extra one with Russell's penalty. And then it all gets it better for Gasly come the Grand Prix. And this was the start of a rather shoddy weekend for George Russell. I know we haven't mentioned him in any of our winners and spinners, so we might as well go over him now. This was not his finest hour. It wasn't too bad either. It was just the kind of combination of you expect more from him and for some reason we couldn't get through. It wasn't quite 
he's not quite on Sergio Perez's level of come on, do something, but he definitely had a bit of an off weekend considering how decent he's been of late. So it was a little bit curious. I mean, it was it was bad by his and Mercedes standards, but it wasn't necessarily terrible. Oh, that's he still very, got solid yeah. points in the end of the day and was well inside the top 10, helped by some post-race stuff, admittedly. But it was curious that he didn't make his way further up through the grid as much as anyone was potentially expecting. That's very much the thing. Against his usual benchmark, this was quite a messy weekend, I think, against the rest of the grid and some of the people he was sort of performing around. It was quite competent, but yeah, it's a interesting performance from Russell but we'll move into the Grand Prix itself and before it even starts we had some interesting uh, news coming from the paddock where both Haas and Aston Martin drivers were to start from the pit lane with both teams having made changes to their cars under park Fermi conditions Lance would also forget to come into the pits after his inset lap but that didn't really seem to have any major issues for it I think they gave him the box box notification a little too late he missed pit entry they just sort of pushed him back around and he went it wasn't actually deemed to be a problem um, the whole field opted to start on mediums with only Stroll and Hulkenberg looking to go long on the hards off the line. Norris would get a good start off of the line and surge into an early lead ahead of the Ferraris and Hamilton. In the opening corners, Ocon and Piastri came together, tearing a hole in the sidebar of Ocon's Alpine and buckling a radiator on Piastri's McLaren. Both would go on to retire early. Norris would lead through the first round of stops until lap 27, the undercut proving a powerful method in some parts of the field. Verstappen pitted early to a second set of mediums and used this fresh pace to put pressure onto the Brit pair ahead. You could argue this is where McLaren's race became or came undone rather as they couldn't handle the strategy pressure against Red Bull and seemingly didn't have the tyre allocation left to cover him off with a counter compound strategy at the end. Norris did end up going for a medium hard hard strategy which wasn't quite fast enough to battle against Verstappen and Hamilton by the end of the race. Hamilton would make the tyre move uh, McLaren wanted to and pitted for mediums to finish which gave him the pace to move through the field and close up to the Red Bull. Max having pitted for hards was battling for pace compounded by a brake issue. Norris did his best to chase down the world champion pair, though the McLaren on the harder compound just didn't have what it took to make any inroads. Meanwhile, you say so that, but I'm just going to put a slight interruption in because I, no, the only thing I'll say on that, they clearly didn't have the strategy as Ellie May is going to go into a bit later, I think. But Lando himself, he didn't really come across it doing his utmost best to win given how little he battled Verstappen when he was overtaken by him I mean he should have fought him at least as much as he fought Hamilton and Hamilton seemed to be hungry for his 104th win I think then Lando is for his first this weekend and I know the Constructor Championships there and McLaren are focused on that but considering they got P4 anyway as they because of what happened because Aston Martin wouldn't be have strolls so sort of driving with one hand by the time behind their back it didn't seem like Lando he put up a bit of a fight but nowhere near as much as I was perhaps expecting of him considering this was a good chance to at least try it because ultimately you weren't gonna especially now that we have the hindsight of knowing what happened after the race he wasn't gonna lose that much anyway I think the thing was McLaren was anticipating trying to look at a one stop they seem to be sort of flirting with it as a concept they pushed Lando long on his mediums to start with and at the point where uh, Verstappen was coming through they were early on that hard stint and Verstappen and Norris was looking to try and baby them and try and get some distance out of them in case they could even swap to some softs towards the end I think was their strategy they were looking to essentially go for an alternate sort of compound they were looking to really put the cats amongst the pigeons and go for a fast car right at the end of the race but they sort of I think especially by the time Norris had flat spotted his front left tyre going into turn 11 there really wasn't the opportunity for them to sort of carry that advantage forwards so it was uh, some of this comes down to potentially Norris not battling Verstappen. He wanted to preserve his tyres to essentially run along on the hards through the middle stint and then swap to a softer compound. And part of it, again, does fall back onto McLaren for not having a sort of an, a, a rigid enough plan B or plan C that's able to deal with a relatively obvious strategy move from Red Bull, which was, yeah, we'll start on the mediums, see what the rest of the field is doing, and then if needs be, we can just go for a second pair of set of mediums and work up, continue working our way through the field to gain an advantage. And in the end, I think it played out better than Red Bull anticipated. But towards the end, I think it's uh, Norris was starting to get back towards the front pack towards the end, but it would have taken a hell of a lot more laps before 
anything really came of that one. It would have also been difficult for McLaren to anticipate how their how their car would have gone on the tyres as well because they didn't have the free practice sessions to do the long run stints. So it was obviously hard for them to predict that the hard wasn't really going to work and that the medium would hold on better than it did. Yeah, they missed out on what's usually FP2 is like the long run session for um, in the Grand Prix testings. And it's it's where you do your, your high fuel load, you stick them on the hards, you stick them on the mediums for a bit, just to look at how the tyres dig in that early stage under a heavy car. And with a sprint weekend, they didn't have that data. They had to go by assumptions, previous races at the circuit and just sort of see what happened. Meanwhile, on a different section of the circuit, Fernando Alonso complained of a rear suspension failure. The team didn't really notice anything early on, and he would eventually retire with a rear suspension failure. Science pitted late for fresh hards and was then able to blow through the pack that has obviously passed him in his pit stop and chased up to the back of his former teammate, but uh, eventually ran out of laps to close right in or make a pass. Max would go on to take his 50th win of his career, uh, one more, and he will tie with Alain Prost, three more, and he will equal Sebastian. Vettel. Hamilton would cross the line in second, Norris third, Sainz fourth, Perez fifth, Leclerc sixth, Russell seventh with Gasly, Stroll and Sonoda rounding out the top ten. Sonoda pitted late as he had a gap actually back to the driver behind him and uh, which was Albon off the top of my head I think yeah it would have been Albon and uh, he was able to bolt on softs and uh, nab the fastest lap point which given how close he is to a lot of other drivers in the standings is a very valuable point so it means a lot to the number 22 driver post-race though this would all change mercedes and ferrari were called to the stewards after leclerc and hamilton's cars were randomly selected to form the pool of four cars that got checked for technical infringements and it was found that their skid blocks had worn down an excessive amount likely due to running too low a ride height this was a clear-cut argument and both drivers were presently disqualified from the race the top 10 now saw norris promoted a step on the podium science again getting a podium without actually being on the podium Perez would move up to fourth, Russell to fifth, Gasly to sixth, Stroll to seventh, Sonoda to eighth with his fastest lap in tow, and now with two places to gain, Alex Albon would take ninth and its associated two points, while home nation hero Logan Sargent would take P10 and score his maiden F1 point at a home race, the first American driver to bag points since Michael Andretti at the Italian Grand Prix in 1993. We'll get to Logan in due course, and... Um, but when it comes to post-race scrutineering, do we think there should be a larger sample size? Four cars represents 20% of the entered vehicles for a race. Admittedly, feasibly checking all 20 cars would just take too long. Um, so but surely an extra car or two wouldn't be too much pressure? Larry Anderson wrote a very interesting piece over on the race where he suggested that the top 10 get checked. If there's anything wrong with them, then and that promotes other drivers and third points, then they get checked. And then that way, it's a compromise between not checking everything on everyone, because like you say, it would take too long. But it also means not simply not doing anything. And I think that way you can maybe, four seems like too little a number to, to randomly choose. And it seems that in, in this case, the track did play a big part in causing the, the, the issues on the car. So there may well have been other teams that had the same issue and got away with it, but we're just not going to know. So at least if it's the top 10 who score points that get checked, if there's any discrepancies there, it's, it makes sense to check them more than the bottom 10 because it ultimately doesn't matter too much when there's no points being scored at the bottom. I don't necessarily believe the sample size should be larger until the FIA find a problem if the FIA find a problem with one team's car I think the other driver's car in that team should automatically be checked as well because I'm right in saying that Russell and Sainz weren't checked were they um no and Perez were... wasn't checked either because Verstappen and Norris were the other two that got checked and they were both fine but again if you're going to check one team maybe check both of them just for the sake of making sure there were randomised checks throughout the field on other bits and pieces. So after the race, all the finishing cars and drivers are weighed. We often see that with certainly the drivers going onto the weigh bridge and being weighed. That's where we saw Esteban Ocon get pushed around by Max Verstappen a few years back in Sao Paulo. Um, the bodywork on the cars of Perez, Norris and Sonoda was also subjected to extensive checks. So it's not just four cars. It is There are various different checks employed on different cars up and down the grid. Um, every car was checked for a variety of parameters. 
Um, these include things like the obviously we've mentioned the physical floor and the plank inspection. There are high rev limit bands that are checked on cars. They look at oil level consumptions. They look at um, the speeds and torques that are deployed by things like the MG UK and the MG UH. They look at energy release data. There's all sorts of different bits that are checked on different cars. It simply depends on which cars they pick to check for what things. And it's worth remembering that obviously there is also the fuel and oil samples that are taken away and they are literally sealed up. I've got a brilliant picture here of a previous incident where Carlos Sainz's fuel was taken and it gets put into an absolutely tiny little tin and hopefully you can see it on the screen. It won't overexpose it, but it even has like a little tag around the top that sort of is a security seal to it. And um, that gets taken away for density and gas chromatography and the same for the oil as well to check that you're not essentially putting combustibles within your oil and then using oil burn so there's there's a lot of different rules but it was simply the fact that the cars that they checked the planks on were the ones that befell it it's not really a case of it's just four it's a bit broader than that i think and this is slightly changing the topic but for me I'm now wondering whether that's had a role to play in both Leclerc and Hamilton's performance. You know, did Leclerc get pole and Hamilton was that much faster because their ride height was lower? Did that potentially give them more downfalls, essentially creating a sort of a stronger ground effect car? You know, we saw Russell struggle more than Hamilton this weekend. And was that because Russell's car was at the higher ride height that it should have been? And that's the actual true performance of the car. You know, would Hamilton have been fighting in fighting contention for the a race win if it wasn't for this and would you know we have seen him struggle with the car like russell did i think this is the bigger picture for me in terms of looking at the team's performance because we believed obviously mercedes and ferrari were a lot closer to red bull and whilst this, they undoubtedly are compared to you know the start of the season and whatnot but are they now as close as we now believe them to be with the information we now know you know what is now the true gap yeah, the performance does. Well, in that case, I agree with you in terms of if you find a problem with one car, check the other car of the same team just to be across everything. And that doesn't just go for this problem, but any problems that you might find with, with any of them, as, as you were listing, Jesse. I just think that, again, I just quite like the, the suggestion from, from Anderson, to be honest, because, again, I feel like if you're, I feel like the sample size just should be a little bit bigger and do that across board with everything yes it takes a bit longer but if you're ultimately going to change the results of a grand prix anyway a few hours afterwards does it really matter if it's four or six just at least then you have a bit more certainty about what's been going on even if it's just as i was saying just if you check hamilton and you find a problem then you check russell or you check the whole top 10 to make sure that at least the points are all secure and we're not going to have to be messing around that too much because like you were saying at the top of this, just because the championships are all wrapped up doesn't mean that it didn't potentially have had worse um, consequences if that hadn't been the case and what a mess that could have been then. I mean, we've seen how Perez has had a massive swing in the Drivers' Championship. McLaren obviously now have overtaken Aston Martin as a result, things that wouldn't have happened if things had stayed as they were. So whilst those are not for first place, it's still pretty important for those teams and those drivers and you don't want to be having to sort that out hours afterwards but if you do have to do that at least do it with a bit more certainty and specificity mm. there's definitely sense in checking the teammates car because again you're only checking the one thing that the other car failed on you're not simply going back to the start of the list and doing all the things simply if you find that car number 16 has ground down its floor pan too much you then simply go and check car 55 for the exact same thing you don't start at the beginning of the checklist there's definitely a, a sense in doing it there but like Ellie May said with this huge delta in performance between Leclerc and Sainz and Hamilton and Russell it really suggests that this was I don't want to say a driver-led setup thing but certainly something that maybe teams were looking at but it was interesting they went for ride height around a circuit where a lot of drivers and teams complained about the rough running this was an incredibly bouncy circuit and you could see very visibly certainly on Hamilton the Mercedes has always suffered with porpoising and a stiff ride how sort of shaken about he was and equally potentially Sainz and Russell might have thought no I'll go for a slightly higher slightly softer option because I know the circuit's bumpy I'm more likely to get traction if I'm running a more pliant setup so this can have this could have simply been something as innocent as just wanting a softer or firmer setup for your car there's there's many different aspects to this and without sort of 
putting them under a lie detector test we couldn't really find out without interviewing drivers mechanics and sort of team principals but there's there's more to be said for the way that f1 stewards it and a lot of it is behind closed doors we don't know a huge amount of detail about it you have to sort of literally go and sit down with um joe what's his face and sort of go so, that's the one joe bauer and literally go what are you doing here what are you doing here why does this get checked here how does this work out how do you take into account this there's so many parameters and i think because there are those parameters it would take so long to do all 20 like they've said that four is a reasonable number but it could be a little higher certainly at least checking other cars when there is a chassis or engine linked issue would be a wise one when you've got certainly with engines um customer teams on so, a different note, just one other thing from the Grand Prix that I wanted to touch on quickly is that there was, I did wonder how much of the supposed booing of Verstappen on the podium was actually aimed at him and how much was perhaps aimed at the man giving him the trophy because I don't think that came across in commentary very well. I don't know if they just didn't know who he was or the relevance to it, but it was Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, who hasn't been the most popular man in recent times. So I wonder if perhaps it was maybe a bit of both, but I don't think it was all aimed at Verstappen and might have been more at him instead because it seemed to... Again, the, the booing did die down when the other drivers and the other people giving the trophies out were there. So it's a little bit awkward to try and measure that. But I don't think it would have all been at max there. So I just thought I'd chime that in. Online consensus seems to back up that this might have been aimed more at Greg Abbott than potentially television coverage suggested it was. There's, um, yeah, he's. Uh, without wanting to sound too right-wing internet-y, but go do your own research into the fella. He has not proven to be very popular with a the demographic that tends to enjoy Formula One, to be certain. Before, again, we move on, different topic. You know how we always go on about, you know, the Triple Crown, how you get a Monaco Grand Prix win, win at Le Mans, and a win of the Indy 500. Charles Leclerc has his own different Triple Crown. He's got a did not start at Monaco, a did not finish at France, and a disqualification in America. So for, for a pole position, he's achieved all three non-finishing results or styles of non-finishing results. And yeah, he's uh, really... He's even gone one further, really, because he had that classic car race in Monaco and he didn't finish that either. So he's really putting the hard work into nails in his coffin there. That was a demonstration mm. lap. That was a demonstration lap. And Nikki, well, practice was for a future race, then. Let's, let's be real. He's this. Yeah. Anyway, with the changing to the order, Norris now passes Leclerc in the standings. Gasly passes Stroll, and Sonoda passes Joe. Uh, Sonoda is the only now a point behind Hulkenberg and two off of Bottas. In balance, a big weekend for him. Equally, AlphaTauri is now just two points behind Haas in the standings for constructors. Unsurprisingly, McLaren now passes Aston Martin, the constructors too. Next up, Ferrari and Williams are 10 points clear of Alfa Romeo behind. So great if you're Williams and you've just bagged an extra three points out of nowhere. Um, even better news if you're Yuki Sonoda and uh, you've come out of this weekend looking like a bit of a champion, really, especially compared to your teammate. But we'll discuss more of well, that. I only took two disqualifications to help you get there, though. Well, I mean, he was in the points before that even happened with fastest lap. So oh, it's... yeah, I know, but it's just it's kind of less of a hero move and just kind of being in the right place at the right time, which is the same for Williams. It's not necessarily based on your performance per se. It's just being close enough to the points in their case and being just in a decent position, all things considered. So it's just kind of capitalizing on that rather than how they did on the day. Mm, I think with Williams, it's more right place, right time. With Sonoda, he was already there and had already done the right times so it was uh, more credit to his shoulders but we'll discuss a few other drivers and uh, the ones that have done very well and the ones that have not done so in our winners and spinners and as usual we'll start with our winners and Timo we'll start with yours please seems a bit route one but I feel like I finally got to give him a little bit of credit because it was a weekend where it wasn't guaranteed for Verstappen to win and he made it look pretty damn easy in the end. He practically breezed past Lando Norris, as we saw earlier, and made quick work of anyone else. And it was only Lewis who could really do anything about it. And in a weird way that I never thought I'd quite say, I'm glad that he didn't because it would have made the disqualification that even more frustrating as a fan because it's something you don't like to see anyway, never mind for it being a podium position 
or a race win even. It was frustrating enough when it was Vettel in 2021 after such a great race there for him and for him knock on. If, if he'd won that race, that would have been terrible. So for Verstappen to just breeze past as he did to make it look so easy and to not be fade by anything, it's just a winning winning driver, so it gets a winning position for me this week. Simple as. I can't really argue with it. He had a good weekend. He drove against some problems. And yeah, all in, I think his performance on track was very much that of a world champion it was ruthless it was ultimately boring and at the end of the day that's the best way of winning championships is by being so clinically precise that you just come to you um ellie may will go to your winner i've gone for pierre gasly usually with alpine when they get when they have a good weekend it's quiet it's quiet but strong and obviously gasly's got both got points in both the sprint and the race now surpasses Stroll in the Drivers' Championship. And I just think, yeah, I think he... It was a strong performance from him. Yeah, tidy little performance. Okay, I'm going to see if this works. Logan Sargent, my winner from the weekend absolutely incredible drive obviously points at his home well point uh, at his home grand prix or a home nation grand prix for him but equally this was just a really good drive from logan Sargent, even if he'd finished p12 like he was making moves through the field against some very experienced drivers he finally seems at home in the williams and it wasn't too demanding a circuit on the tires so he could really start putting together a racecraft that we haven't seen from him since formula two i'm gonna push the boat and say that much but it's it's good to see him finally get to grips with the car and especially in front of a weekend where there's going to be a lot of williams american sponsors of whom they have quite a lot um so it's yeah just a, a great weekend to be liam lawson uh, not liam lawson logan Sargent rather and um yeah all of a sudden you don't have to have james val sticking up for you every weekend on sort of the D- williams debrief videos you can finally stand on your own two feet just a shame that we couldn't have celebrated the fact that he got into the points or point until, well, for us this morning. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you're happy William has got points. It's kind of you're, you're happy in some respects, but it's the way about it because you never want to get that outside of the race. You'd rather just get it on track, you know. So it's it's nice, but it's there's that little asterisk that's always going to be niggly. So. If you can get P10 in Mexico on, or, you know, higher, have to take high, he's allowed to get more than one point at a time. But if he could do that again next weekend, I'll be even happier. Then maybe I'll put him as a winner. Yeah, I think there's there's going to be a few more chances this season, certainly for him to perform well. And equally, when it sort of comes to extracting more performance from Williams, now he's broken the duck, that pressure's off his back. There's going to be a, a bit more of an ease on getting that car to do what he wants it to and yeah now he knows that his seat is likely to be a bit more confirmed again it's another pressure off his back and he's going to be a bit more able to handle that one so we'll see how it goes from here but yeah great weekend to be a logan sergeant fan we'll move however into departments where it's less of a good time to be a fan and uh we've all gone for teams we've haven't picked on any drivers as such we seem to think they've all done relatively well but when it comes to teams there's been a few letdowns and Timo, we'll again start with you. Yeah, I, I will also just start it off with, I think we've all gone for teams because we can't always say just Lance Droll, so we've got to do a bit more widely than that this time. But yeah, Haas for me is the first one because admittedly, like you were saying earlier, mate, there was limited running on a lot of stuff and the teams bringing the upgrades here potentially wasn't the smartest move. But that being said, you would have hoped for at least a little bit of progress on the Haas front. This was hailed by many, including old Henry that this would be the start of a new era for, for Haas and their B-spec car would be able to finally take them to where he wants them to go and where all Haas fans want them to go and it got them pretty much exactly nowhere in terms of progress and again maybe it's just like Ellie was saying the nature of the sprint weekend and Mexico will be better for them but yeah a bit of a ambitious but rubbish moment from Haas there which is unfortunately fast becoming the norm for the team which is not what we want because we'd like them to do well but they don't half help themselves it would seem and uh, yeah spin 
Yeah, they I... very much heralded this as their as the white Red Bull, which is quite the claim to ambitious. make. Ambitious. Yeah, and rubbish. rubbish. Yes. I would like to go back and watch Hulkenberg's lap that got deleted in qualifying to see whether he would have been within track limits the next day, because then has that ultimately hampered where he could have got in the race? Could you know? One thing I'll say to that, though, is that we've seen Hess have been good in qualifying before, but then when it comes to the race, they just go backwards anyway. So I don't know if it would have just delayed the inevitable by one or two more laps rather than making any massive difference. So... I would be also interested to see that, that lap and see where it would fit in, but I don't think it would have ultimately made too much difference to where they would have ended up in the Grand Prix, especially if they would then ultimately start from the pit lane. But then he might not have started from the pit lane. He could have then automatically been higher. You'd never know. Maybe the upgrades couldn't get them the overtakes, but may have been able to let them sort of maintain a position or defend a bit better. Maybe, you know, you think now about where Alex and Logan were in 11 and 12, and that's promoted them to 9th and, uh, and 10th. Could Hulkenberg maybe have finished 12th and maybe then got that point? And, you know, with now Yuki and Hulkenberg, was it Hulkenberg so close to each other in the... Um, yeah, a point between them. Yeah. One point that between point could be crucial. You never know. But I, well, that's fully speculation. And like you said, Timo, they, they're not... They've never been, their Achilles heel has always been the race and they haven't quite performed amazing in, in the racing. So they could they could have just fallen behind anyway and finished at the back. Yeah, I think it's, it's a big ask to have anticipated Haas being able to generate the race pace needed to hold on to that position, let alone work their way forward. I think Hulkenberg's qualifying time was good, but equally it was set very early on in that respective session so the track ramps up pretty quickly in those final few minutes as cars just start really piling on the rubber and ultimately i don't think even then it would have been that strong it might have got him into like q2 but i don't think it would have gotten him too much further forwards if at all it did get him to q2 i can't quite remember off the top of my head but there we go less than ideal from Haas. um i'll go next with my spinner and mine simply says mclaren's strategy department and i think there was, there was a lot that McLaren could have done this weekend that they failed to do. They they had a lot to play for, and ultimately, once they weren't trying to figure out two strategies at once, there should have been this opportunity to divert all thinking power to getting Lando to the top of the podium, and they just didn't. Something fell apart within the team there. I don't know if it was communication, if it's the fact that ideas are being stymied away from sort of the strategy desk to actually being put to drivers. There's there's a lack of confidence in what they can achieve which is unfortunate because at the moment they seem to be able to achieve great things something's just holding them back and it'd be nice to see that rectified before the end of the season while they've still got a competitive car i'll go next then <laughs> no, no rebuttals no um i kind of have two so aston martin is my main spinner and then sort of on the side in some respects i also have alpha Tauri. I'll start with Aston Martin first. Um, I think when they said that they wanted Alonso and Stroll closer together, I don't think this is what they meant. Um, we said earlier in the podcast how limited track running and free practice really hampered them, and they were just never really able to get on top of those issues. And as well, they just weren't able to make the upgrades, uh, make use of the upgrades that they had bought. I think Stroll had issues in the sprint forcing him to retire. Alonso had issues in the race forcing him to retire. I think without those problems, could we have seen Aston Martin get points enough points to stay ahead of McLaren in the championship? Maybe, probably not, but maybe there would have been a maybe a, like a point in it or something like that. But again, it was only a matter of time, and now obviously McLaren have passed them for fourth with only Lando Norris's points finishes alone. It's not great, and then. AlphaTauri sort of on the side is because I think they could have had both drivers in the points if they hadn't have messed up Daniel Ricciardo's strategy. They pitted him way too late the first time around, and I assume when they tried to do a one-stop, they tried to do an, a one-stop, and this inevitably meant that he fell backwards to them. They then pitted him again 
really late and put a set of softs on. Ricardo, before all of this, was right behind or always near Sonoda enough that he could have finished 11th or 12th and subsequently been promoted to 9th or 10th with Hamilton and Leclerc's disqualification. And that would have seen him get them get even closer to Haas. So I think they have shot themselves in the foot and potentially lost out on millions. Yeah, it's certainly on the Alpha Tower front. If they have retrospectively found that they've balls up Ricardo's strategy and it could have been a points paying position he might have ended up in, they're going to rue that one, especially if it means that they're now got still much of a mountain to fight to try and get past Haas. But with Aston Martin, I think, yeah, like we'd mentioned at the top of the show, getting upgrades in on a sprint weekend, getting them bedded in, getting the times right, figuring out how the car runs and how to make the most of it all of a sudden. A sprint weekend isn't the weekend to do that. Hopefully, though, it means they've at least got some data to be sort of back where they need to be come Mexico. But Mexico's a unique circuit to run at. Run very high downforce setups because of the very thin air and all of a sudden you're fighting different demons in a different shape. It's an interesting one from them. The question is, have we got any other drivers we would think are worth a mention? Any that we've sort of glossed over that have slipped through the net? I think Perez had a a tidy weekend and one that's been quite fortuitous in having his nearest rival in the standings disqualified. Yeah. And I guess Oscar Piastri. Yeah. I... Yeah, he suffered a bit with that contact with Ocon. I think that's just a, a lap one incident. I don't want to try and apportion blame to that one. I think his contact with Science again, it's a lap one incident. He's coming off the back of really good form. It's so hard to sort of not be hypercritical of him when all of a sudden he's tumbling back through the order in one race and DNFing in another, especially after the literally the previous sprint weekend. He'd won the sprint so it's yeah he's not quite a spinner but certainly not a winner this weekend Oscar Piastri it was an alright race <laughs> there wasn't too much to really write home about from that one and the things that were worth, were worth writing home about quickly got torn up in, in letter form when the, the FIA intervened with the disqualification so not much else to say really mm, well given the fact that we're about 45 minutes in and we've already reached our predictions review and no one scored points for pole prediction because we're only really counting the main Grand Prix here. So we'd all gone for Max Verstappen. I say we, there's Timo, Elimay, myself, and we had Isha on last week as well. And uh, no points at all there. Um, Timo, Elimay, and Isha, though, do score points for a Verstappen win, just one there. Um, Isha scores a second point for Lando Norris in P2, which uh, wouldn't have happened had it not been for that Hamilton disqualification. No one got points for the fastest lap because no one foresaw Yuki Tsunoda bolting on softs and going a bit mad in the final phase. And I somehow pulled a point out of my ass for wild prediction of Williams' double points finish. It means absolutely nothing in our standings. So so far behind at this point, but it's I, I'm happy that that one came true. To be fair, and everyone, yeah, I just wish it had been on track. It would have been nice for it to be on track. Yes, yes, yes. But it still counts. It's, it's still William double points. Oh yeah, of course it still counts. It's just I'd rather I'd like it done properly. Yes. Yeah. Where is everyone for points? In predictions, you're first. I'm second. Jesse's third. Points yeah, were irrelevant I... at this point of the game. I just want to know what the points... No, the, the points really are irrelevant. The guest is currently on checks. The guest has got the numbers correct in there. Um, need to add one more guest into that, I believe. Let's see. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. So Sorry the guest... Strictly tune, then. No, not do, 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 do. Um, the guest is currently on, I'll just check one, two, three, four, five. The guest is currently on a race average of 1.4 points every time we have a guest on. They have currently scored a total of seven. Um, I'm next in the list on 23 points uh, with an average of 1.045 points. So just over a point per race. Um, Timo is on 33, 10 points clear of me, with one and a half points per race. And Ellie May is on 47, with 2.136 points per race. So uh, I, I didn't realise the gap was that big between us all. No, it's... Oh, it was yeah. irrelevant. 
yeah the, the, the points are literally pointless actually which is uh quite good a segue as we can get into the f1 fantasy review though um for austin we had some points allocated and then that was all obviously switched over so we now have francesca root one in first place with 325 points mitchell k team one with 310 in second our game third with 289 and i'll only mention fourth because it's emt racing with 284 points then much further down for the two of us midbed racing p15 and on the curbs p21 Overall, though, Alex H9V2 is out in front with 5,405 points, which is about the same points that Eddie May has in our predictions if we convert it to, to F1 fancy scores. Uh, Francesco Rhodes, just as he is, is in second place with 5,260 points, and Alex H9 is in third with 5,178 points. EMT Racing is P8 overall, mid-bed racing P10, on the curbs P13. And then we appear to have a new addition to our fancy league because Liam I Love You is P34 with 516 points and an inactive Liam Lawson is still very much part of their team. I don't foresee great success in their future though. Yeah, I, I would have done better this weekend if I'd remembered to swap Liam Lawson back out. He'd been doing quite well. I'd remember to put him in because they didn't do it automatically this year. They didn't automatically sub... Um, they didn't sub no, Nick DeVries for Danny Rick and they didn't, sub Danny, uh, they didn't sub Lawson for Danny Rick. So you had to go and do that manually, which was rather annoying because I missed out on one race where we had Lawson and then I missed out on a race when we didn't have Lawson and had Danny Rick back. So very annoying there. But... It's impressive how Alex has got both uh, first and third. You know, he's got two teams in the sort of podium points, if you were. Where's his third team? Has he got a third team with us? That's the real question. Because could could he go for like I the clean sweep? I believe he does, but I'm, I imagine it's in the top 10 somewhere because I do recall seeing Alex HIV2 in previous reviews of f1 fantasy um so at the top he's got h9v2 um alex h9 so we're looking for an alex h9v3 oh he does a v1 uh there isn't a v there isn't any other alex h9 somethings um so he's only got the two teams which means that he can't sort of completely body the um he can't get the podium no he cannot unfortunately do we do we know who he is? Yeah, it's my girlfriend's sort of like stepbrother sort of thing. It's it's a link over on that side. So once again, I might be buying Alex a tray of chocolates for Christmas. We'll wait and see. Anyway, that's very much all we've got time for on this week's episode of or this week's review of the austrian austin american grand prix trying to get all the words and the states and the cities right uh, that's all we've got from austin for the american grand prix there we are got it right that time uh, we'll be back in very short order with a preview for the mexican grand prix and maybe even some feeder series content smattered in the middle because of course we saw the resolution of the formula one academy series in austin as well so plenty to chat about there if not you can join us again when we preview the mexican grand prix <laughs>